Hi, it's Lindsay Labonte, branch manager at Applied Mortgage here with the Applied Mortgage Community Show. I have attorney Nicholas Grimaldi with us this morning, and it is such an important time to have one of our greatest attorney contacts here with us today to help us navigate this really intense market that we're in for both buyers and sellers. So really excited to have you here today, Nick. Do you want to just introduce yourself and your firm just briefly, kind of what your background has been? Yeah, sure, Lindsay. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to, you know, speak to people about some of the questions they might have from the legal side um, when they're going through this process. So my name is Nick Grimaldi. I'm a partner at Fierce Bloomberg Home in Northampton on Gothic Street downtown. And um, my practice involves commercial and residential real estate transactions, as well as you know other transactional matters, corporate and business transactions. Um, over the last year and a half, you know the, the residential real estate practice has taken up a lot of time. So um, it's a significant part of what we do. Definitely. So right now is a seller's market. We've been in a seller's market actually since 2012. Some people don't realize that, but it means it's very competitive now more than ever coming through this pandemic uh, for buyers and also for sellers who are navigating multiple offer situations, talking about their different contingencies and protections they have on both sides as a buyer or a seller. And I threw a list at Nick of probably about 30 questions <laughs> that I receive all the time in this area. Um, you know, mostly we're working in Western Massachusetts. It's customary that a buyer and seller might review an initial offer to purchase with their uh, real estate partners, their real estate agents, and um, maybe not an attorney until later on in the process when they get to the purchase and sale. So um, there's a lot that goes into negotiating that initial offer. And we're going to ask Nick a few key questions as much as we can cover today, just to get some general legal advice. And again, this isn't specific to your transaction. So make sure you consult your attorney, but this is definitely going to provide us with some great education. And I'm so excited. So to start off with, usually when someone's making an offer on a house, they're focusing on the price. And right now we're seeing houses go for above asking a lot of times. We're seeing people use escalation clauses. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means and how the, uh, people can protect themselves if they're using an escalation clause? Sure. Um, so escalation clauses were almost never, we almost never saw them prior to maybe, you know, 12 to 12 to 18 months ago. They would occasionally, it would come up, but very rarely. Um, an escalation clause is, is a provision in your offer. Um, by the way, the offer document that you'll sign with your agent will often say contract to purchase on top. And it, you know, it, 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 we call it an offer in the industry, but um, it is a contract. It, it, it is, it, so there will be a longer contract later, but one of the reasons why thinking about these things is important is that that, that document is not just a, you know, bullet point list of things the parties might agree on later. It's, 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 it has consequences, okay? Um, so with respect to an escalation clause, what that means is, you know, you're going to offer $250,000 for this house. Okay. Um, but if there are competing bona fide offers, and that's an important term that should be included, 
um, that are higher than your offer, you will escalate or you will increase your offer automatically to a certain amount over that offer. So as an example, with 250,000, you might say as a buyer, you know, we, we really want this house. We would actually pay up to 270,000, but we don't want to offer that. Um, so we will put in our offer that we will go $1,000 higher than the next bona fide offer that comes in within a certain period of time um, up to 270,000, okay? Now, if so, so if the seller accepts that, then now you're you're basically held to that. The offer will automatically increase and be binding on you if the seller accepts it, if they received offers higher than the original offer you made. And do the does the seller have to show you those other offers? You you were mentioning this bonafide offer. How is that well, tested? That's a really good question. Um, it, it depends on how you write it. Um, now, I would say that it absolutely, it, first of all, the term bona fide, you know, means, you know, a real offer, right? Not, right. not a hypothetical offer or, you know, someone that made an offer that says, well, you know, I'd buy it for 260, but has no indication on how they're going to pay for it. If they're going to take a mortgage, that's not a bona fide offer. Right. A bona fide offer to me also is not an offer from somebody's brother. I mean, we don't see a lot of, we don't see a lot of people playing fast and loose with this, but just so people understand, you know, what we don't want is a buyer, a seller to see that and then have their uncle make an offer, right? <laughs> right. Um, that's not a bona fide offer. It's not an arm's right. length offer. So I would, I think it only is logical that you would have to show proof that mm -hmm. it was a bona fide offer. Mm -hmm. However, I would suggest because People's uh, sellers' agents are different, and sellers' attorneys are different. And I think it, you really ought to write that in that, you know, written proof of the bona fide offer shall be shown um, um, to the uh, to the buyer in order yeah. for this clause to be effective. Um, the other thing is, you know, I said before that you would put in that, and I probably made an assumption, right, that it would be up to a certain amount. Right, up to 270,000. Well, you know, it, I, I've seen them where that kind of didn't get put in, right? So mm -hmm. buyer will pay $1,000 higher than the next bona fide offer. Well, right. You know, that's okay, but you're running a, you're, you're running a risk. There's no end in sight. That's right. Yeah, interesting. These are all great points. Yeah, and so when you're, when you're drafting up this offer, this contract, as Nick said, it's really important to know that these are real agreements that you're putting in writing. And um, there are so many kind of typical items that you'll go through. You'll go through the price, you'll go through your uh, home inspection contingency, your mortgage contingency, the property has to have clear title, kind of all of these things. So um, these are some key points that we're, we're definitely touching on here. Um, so I'm curious about the mortgage commitment contingency, which many people will have if they need to buy the house with a mortgage. And people ask me a few different questions in relation to that. Um, is my appraisal included in that mortgage contingency? You know, is my home inspection included in that? So if they're including their home or their mortgage contingency, what is that actually protecting them? 
With. Right. Well, the, the mortgage contingency, you know, certainly we see cash buyers, you know, and of course, folks watching this podcast probably you know, aren't in that category. Right. So. So, I mean, you know, but but for the vast bulk of people, the mortgage contingency really is the most important is the most important thing to to include. Um, and it, it's very typical. The offers, the offer documents, the contract to purchase, you know, there's standard language in there that kind of governs some of these key contingencies. You don't have, they aren't written from scratch by the agents um, and, they, and they're fine. The language that's in there is, is appropriate usually, okay. Um, but what, so, so what does a mortgage contingency do? Well, what it says is, look, as a buyer, I'm gonna offer you X amount of dollars for your house. And if you accept one of the conditions, we say contingency, but let's call it a condition, is, you know, I have the, uh, I have the ability to apply for a mortgage um, at a certain either amount or percentage of the price. And if I don't get that mortgage, if it's denied, um, or I don't get the mortgage on the terms that I applied for, and this this is this is my pet peeve. Um, you know, that to me is an important issue. Um, it's not just getting the mortgage, it's getting the mortgage on terms that are aren't different than what you expected to get when you apply, and we'll, we can talk about that more if you'd like to. But uh, and there's always a date, and that date's typically it, it varies, but you know, let's say it's typically you know a month or so, give or take, maybe a month to forty five days after the um, offer. Okay. So so how does that protect the buyer? Well, the idea is, look, you know, I'm going to apply for a mortgage. I'm going to have to do my best to get the mortgage, give the lender everything that they ask for. But if, you know, either because of my finances or otherwise, the lender either denies a loan or can't give me the loan in the amount that I need, then I have the ability to get out of the transaction. Now, nobody wants to get out of the transaction, but if if they if, if they were denied, they they would need to invoke that invoke that contingency because they put down money that's on deposit. And if they didn't get out of the deal and they couldn't close, which they probably couldn't if they didn't get the mortgage, then they would lose their deposit. So a lot of what we do is about trying to make sure we protect the buyer's deposit until closing, you know, so that they can get out if something happens, um, like not getting a mortgage. Okay. Can't protect them for everything that could happen, but okay. So that's why we pay close attention to that date. The date is super important, and your 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 agent, real estate agent, and us and our partners, you know, at at Harbor One or whatever lender have to keep a close eye on that date. Okay. Um. Now, part of what well, I mean, you can speak more to this, Lindsay, but but part of what happens during that period of time between signing the contract and getting to that date is the lender is doing an appraisal almost always not always but almost always and that's it that's evaluation of the property because the lender wants to make sure that they're lending money on property that su supports that value right so i guess the question that you asked one of the questions you asked was well does the mortgage contingency that's standard include a um, um include the idea that the appraisal, the value of the house must equal the purchase price of the house. Right. And the answer in Hampshire County is no. Okay. The answer, the answer in Hampshire County is no. And that's primarily because sellers in looking to put together an agreement standard 
formal contract that which we've done that buyers and sellers lawyers both can agree on right without fighting over terms each time there's a transaction that's that's a provision that sellers lawyers say hey wait a minute if, if you if you want that then you negotiate it at the time otherwise it's not part of the deal so so let's unpack that a little bit if we can so so and this is where you know if you I do this all the time, so it's easy for me to understand this, but it might be a little hard to understand. If you're a, bu a buyer that's applying for, let's say, an 80% standard mortgage, right, which is pretty typical, right? You're going to borrow 80% of the purchase price, okay, uh, in a conventional program, okay, loan program, uh, or you're borrowing a higher percentage, okay. Um, Typically, if the property does not appraise at the purchase price, and by the way, Lindsay, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's very possible that I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. So far, so good. I see where you're going. If the property doesn't appraise at the purchase price, you will not get approved for the loan in the amount that you borrowed at the terms that you applied for. Either there'll be an interest rate adjustment or there'll be points or some uh, something called private mortgage insurance could apply, which is totally a fine thing. But if you're not expecting it, then it's a different term, right? So at some level, even without a provision that says appraisals are a condition uh, or appraisal, appraised value is a condition, it's already baked in because if you're taking out that kind of loan and it doesn't appraise, is the term we use, at the full price, well, then they're going to get a letter or an email that's going to say, hey, it appraised at $10,000 less than the purchase price. That means we have to slightly reduce your loan amount unless we change the terms, in which case I would view that as, well, the mortgage contingency isn't satisfied. And sometimes that leads to additional negotiation between the parties. Typically, people don't back out on that basis of the deal, right. but it'll be additional negotiation about, gee, maybe you can reduce the price. Maybe we'll come up a little bit and meet in the middle. The seller doesn't have to do anything, but it provide, they can say no, and you can either get out of the deal or you can proceed. But it usually allows the buyer to have some rights. Mm -hmm. Where it's an issue and where if you're concerned about it, you should definitely put it in the offer that it's subject to appraisal uh, is if you're borrowing less than 80%. And this does happen, right? Somebody wants to get a mortgage loan. They even need a mortgage loan. But they're going to basically borrow 60% or 50% or 65%. So why is that different? Well, the reason is, from the lender's point of view, they'll lend you 65 to 50% to 70%, typically, whether or not the property appraises at the exact amount you agreed, right? So again, using the example of 250 you know, if the property comes in at, at a valuation of 235 and you're only borrowing 50% of $125,000, um, you know, the, the lenders will typically give you the amount that you wanted, 125, okay? But, you know, if you're concerned that you are overpaying in that sense, because you're gonna end up paying a full 125 extra above the loan, even though the appraisal said it was worth less than that, then you need to make sure that's a condition in your offer. Um, and some sellers will agree, some sellers won't. It depends on the market you know, we're, we're in. And right now it's not super favorable to negotiate something like that, but you can ask for it. Right. right, and that's why all of this is coming up so often because really sellers do have 
a little bit of the advantage with such scarce inventory and more buyers and more offers to view. So instead of just looking at an offer and taking it face value, how much money is the person offering? And, you know, maybe looking at their closing time frame or the typical items, we're really getting into more of the weeds on all the rest of these details here. So Nick, you just made some awesome points and I want to just back up and kind of bullet point a couple of things before I ask you a, another follow-up question. Um, so why these items are so important is because a buyer is giving seller, seller a down payment deposit. You're giving money to bind this contract and you want that money to be protected. So whether it's, you know, typically we see maybe 500 or $1,000 at the initial offer and then maybe a full 5% of the price of the house given with the purchase and sale. And that's all before you actually close and own the home. So you wanna make sure that all of these conditions or contingencies or provisions, as we call them, make sense and are protecting that deposit money. Um, I think it's a really great point. I haven't heard it explained this way, that the mortgage commitment date and condition is really protecting the buyer to make sure that they are able to get the mortgage for the terms they said they were going to get. I think that's a really clear and important message for everybody to understand. So you had alluded to this a little bit, but I get this question frequently. Let's say that a buyer um, has cash to put down, they can do 25% down, but they don't really want to. They wanna do 10% down because they wanna save the rest of the money for maybe renovations after. They know their offer is going to look stronger if they say they're doing 25% down, and then they just want to change it after to only 10% down. So in that situation, what's the risk there? Well, this is really a great question, and we see this a lot. Um, and, and I try to explain it like this. Um, the first thing to, to, to understand is that the mortgage contingency amount, is, is that's, an, that's there to protect the buyer. It's not for the seller's benefit. So people will often say, I, you know, I said in the contract that I would get a mortgage by X date. And, you know, the, the seller's agent's asking questions, you know, well, uh, the seller can't require you to get any mortgage. I mean, it's, 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 it's a contingency for the buyer. Um, and nor can they require you to get a mortgage any particular amount. So my point is, if the mortgage contingency says 80% of the purchase price and the purchase price is 200,000, okay, you, you can get, you are, you're, you are protected in the contingency if you apply for a mortgage of up to 160,000, okay? And again, from the seller's point of view, the lower the mortgage amount, the, the less risk there is that you won't get it. I mean, I don't know if that's actually true, but really, but in, right. in a way it is, right? Um, so sellers always would like to see a lower percentage of, of mortgage in general. Um, and, you know, buyers are looking, I think, in, in most cases to just put down what they think they're going to apply for. Right. And this. So. So if if that means that with one hundred and sixty thousand dollar mortgage contingency amount, if you're a buyer, if you've applied to any mortgage amount up to one hundred and sixty then you are protected under that contingency, okay? Protected meaning if you don't get it, and as long as we abide by the date, okay, or extend the date as needed, um, if you didn't get it, you would be able to get out of the deal and get your deposit back, right? Again, that's the big, that's what we're trying to 
make sure we do as much as we can in the agreement is protect the right to get the deposit back. So the question is, well, what if we do that because we don't want to write down that we're going to apply for a mortgage at 90%, even though we can get it, okay? Um, what if we apply for more than what it said in the agreement? Well, here's, there's, is a, there's two answers. The, the first answer is you can do that. It's not a, you haven't violated the agreement. You could apply for 150% financing if you can get it, okay? The risk though, is that if you do that, and you are denied the mortgage, the seller's lawyer is going to say, okay, we'll process, you know, I guess you got to get out of the deal. We'll process the, we'll have the broker process the refund. Why don't you shoot over that denial letter? So we just have it, you know, proof that there was actually a denial. And it says loan amount that is higher than what was in the um, mm, purchase yeah. and sale agreement. You have a problem, potentially a problem, problem I wouldn't want my clients to have which is you have to say, well, yeah, but they applied for more and, and you know, because they could have gotten it. And look, they would have been denied even if they had applied at 80%. Well, you know, you, now you're in an argument about your deposit or you're doing a lot of work to try to get your deposit back. I don't like that. I, it's too right. risky. Um, and so what I typically tell people is that's at your own risk. I mean, right. yet, you know, my suggestion would be, and you know, your underwriters aren't going to like this or your processors aren't going to like this, um, Lindsay. But look, get the loan approved at the amount. Get the loan approved at the amount that's in the agreement. Right. Okay. Typically, unless you're really cutting it tight with time, it would be possible at that point if you can qualify for more. To and I may be again, correct me if I'm wrong, Lindsay, but it would be possible to borrow more. But now you at least know you have the you have the approval at the amount that you know you could buy the house with, okay? Yeah. And now it's just a matter of, well, maybe we'll borrow a little more before closing if we can get it, but we're, we're, we're okay. And that way you can let the mortgage contingency be satisfied and then pursue additional amounts, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And as far as protecting the down payment deposit here, we're not necessarily talking about a small amount of money. If the average sale price in Hampshire County is 370 and you're putting 5% as a good faith right. deposit, I mean- that's $18,500. So you don't want to mess around like Nick saying with what you're writing in to say that you're going to going to do. So this is all really, really rich information here. This is awesome. Um, I have a couple of more um, conditions as we're calling them contingencies that I want to just wrap up with here. And we're definitely a little over our normal time, but I just think this is so valuable that if it's fine with you, Nick, I'm going to ask them anyway. Absolutely. Um, so one question I'm getting all the time is about waiving the home inspection or saying that it's for informational purposes only. That's the question I have more. I mean, waiving it sounds pretty clear. You're not having one, no protection there. Maybe I'm wrong, but, but what's the, for informational purposes only, can you right. still back out? Right. So this is really timely. And, and, and I think I said, I had a, sort of a pet peeve earlier. Well, I have another pet peeve. Um, that language is not, does, you know, that, that language is popular. I understand why it's, it is not good enough um, in my view. Um, and when I'm, you know, if I, even if I see it, when I'm trying to work up a longer contract with the other lawyer, I, I, you know, I put in more extensive language than that. And usually it's accepted, but really 
you, you know, the agents should be writing it like this, and I hate to tell them how to do it, but, but what it really means is, you know, we're not going to ask the seller for nit, you know, nitpicky repairs, and you know, nitpicky is nigh the beholder, but you know, we'll, we want to do the inspection to either, number one, know what things might have to be fixed down the road, or two, to rule out any major concerns that would actually cause us to back out of the transaction. And that's what informational purposes means, but, um, but not to then make a laundry list of, you know, repairs of outlets and, you know, things that might amount to a couple thousand dollars that we want the seller to do. So typically that language is interpreted to include the idea that if you're not satisfied, you can still get out of the transaction and get your deposit back. By the way, at that point, most commonly, you still only have a $500 or $1,000 deposit that is, you haven't yet gotten to the point where you've put down the full 5%, although sometimes you have, okay? So the idea is you can get your deposit back if you're gonna back out of the deal, but please don't come to us for repairs. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, it should actually spell that out in the offer. It should say, you know, inspections, you know, buyer acknowledges that the, their inspections are for informational purposes only. They will not request repairs or concessions, uh, but the buyer retains the right to terminate the contract if unsatisfied with the inspection, you know, as long as notice of dissatisfaction is provided by the date that it says in the contingency. Right. You know, obviously that's that sounds like a lawyer's talking, and it is, but that that's what that's what it should say. Um, if it doesn't say that, there's always the potential that there'll be some misunderstanding about what that means. Yeah. And I think that's a clear message with all of these, right? Is it's that this is a contract that's going to be interpreted by other parties. And so having clearly written statements is super important, whether it's in regards to the purchase price and the escalation clause we spoke about, the appraisal and any, you know, appraisal differences, your home inspection period, the mortgage commitment and the terms of your mortgage. Um, and I'm going to see if you can do this in like under two minutes, but other one other uh, contingency, I guess, on both sides. And uh, now I'm seeing this less frequently again because it's so competitive, but people still ask the question when a buyer has a contingency to sell a home in order to buy a new house or sellers are saying, well, I want to sell, but I don't have anywhere to go. What about a contingency for the seller to find suitable housing? So maybe an overview on. Let's do that real quick, Lindsay. And um, I do think we should talk about, though, about the appraisal gap language oh, sure. before we wrap yeah. up. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's do talk that. quickly about about the sale and purchase contingency. So that can be done quickly. So bottom line, we're not seeing much with buyers having, having any leverage at all right now. If they make an offer that says well, my offer is subject to me finding a seller, you know, a, a buyer for my house in New York state. Although we do, it, it, it does happen. And sometimes people are basically making an offer, not putting it in because they don't want to scare off their, their, their seller in their new home, but they still know they have to sell their house and they're hoping because the market's strong, they'll do it um, in time. Well, you can do that, but there's a risk. If, that, if you don't sell it or for something, your, your, your sale falls through, if you're a buyer on your other house, um, you, you will, you will have to perform or you will lose your deposit, um, on your purchase. Now, looking at the other side of it, what if you accept 
you put an offer on a house where the seller says they need to find replacement housing. Well, again, we see that a fair amount now and it, it's, it's fine. But the thing that buyers need to keep in mind is trying to, with their agent, provide some structure around that, meaning some date, some, some uh, procedure by which they're, they need to keep us, us, the buyer, informed on what their progress is. Because otherwise it can go on indefinitely. If the seller has the ability to say, well, you agreed to something that said I had the right to find suitable housing. Um, um, well, you know, even though it's now the closing date has passed, I can still keep you hung up on this deal, on this transaction, uh, you know, for another month, another two months, um, um, you know, unless you've written into your offer some parameters around that. And I strongly suggest that people think about that and, and put a time limit on it. Hmm, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, do you want to do you want to introduce the idea of the appraisal gap or do you want? Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do that. I said I had a list of about 30 things. So we're yeah. we're going for all of them. So, yeah, let's jump back to that appraisal because that's a big question now. So uh, you talked about what happens if the appraisal comes in different than the purchase price. But another question we're getting is writing in an appraisal gap. So somebody will ask me. As a lender's perspective, if I were to offer 250, but say I would cover any difference in the appraisal up to 25,000, what happens? So well, again, this is really big right now. We see it a lot, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. But you know, people have to go into it with open eyes, right? Um, so, so what it means exactly what you just described, right? So we talked about the idea that lenders will lend up to a percentage, usually 80%, on a conventional type program of the value. So let's say you applied for an 80% conventional type loan and, you know, it's, it's the price is 200 just to use, you know, an example. And the appraisal doesn't come back at 200. It comes back at, at, at 180. Well, you're, then you're not going to, the lender is not going to loan you 160 um, at the terms and rates you applied for. There's going to be other terms if they're going to give you that amount. So really what you would get is 80% of 180 and it's too early and I haven't had enough coffee to do that math, but it's less, right? So you might be in a situation as a buyer where you're like, look, I don't actually have that money, right? To make up the difference. My, the amount I was gonna put in was 20%, that's what I've got. So people are basically though entering into agreements where they say, well, seller, please don't worry if there's a difference between the purchase price and the appraised price, we'll make that up. Right. Even if our lender will only give us not 160, but 150, we'll make up that extra 10,000. As long as you understand that's what that means, go for it. OK, but that's what that means. And here's another really important point. And please do this. <laughs> please do this. Please put a limit on the amount of gap you're willing to make up. And I see it a lot without any. Now, look, if people have unlimited funds, then great, okay? But I'm not sure that that's always understood. And the, the offers are maybe being rushed into. It, it should, because if there is no limit, it, theoretically, the appraisal could come back at half the, it doesn't happen, but half the purchase price. Yeah. And you would literally be bound to come up with the rest of the money, which of course nobody would. Right. And you would lose your deposit. You would absolutely lose the deposit. It's a breach of contract. You would have broken the contract. Right. So put a limit, whether it's you know up to a gap of ten thousand, up to a gap of twenty thousand, up to a gap of five thousand. You know, and if the seller won't accept that, 
maybe it's not the right transaction for you. My agent partners will kill me for saying that, but you know, you really have to be willing to put that money into the deal to get that house. Yeah. Awesome. That's so good to know. And I think we were maybe speaking about this when we were offline before, but in our area, you, you said it perfectly. I mean, we're not really seeing agents that are wheeling and dealing and intentionally getting any customers into situations that they shouldn't be in at all. So everything that you're saying and in speaking to other uh, agent partners that we work with, I know everyone's working toward doing in good faith and uh, the just abundance of offers that are sometimes on one property. You know, sometimes buyers are asking to have these contingencies totally waived or just written in really vaguely because they want to end up at the top of the pile. But what you're saying, everything's so important to understand whatever's in writing, know how it's going to be interpreted, make sure the details are really clear and make sure that you can actually do what you say that you're going to do so that you don't lose that deposit or get into a situation where all of a sudden you have to buy the house cash or something. And that wasn't the intention. So this is awesome. Any um, closing thoughts? I mean, for sure, our uh, realtor partners who we're working with, our home buyers we're working with are going to want to know your contact information at the very least, because this is so awesome. What can you leave us with well, here? Well, I mean, I guess what, I, what I'd say is to sum up is exactly what you said, right? So so the agents that I work with regularly, and I think you know, they're professionals, they're really good at what they do. Um, they are you know, experienced and everybody's working toward the same goal here, right? We're all part of the team. Once there's a team assembled, we're working together, not against each other. Um, I see things as a lawyer, you know, a little bit differently because, you know, I'm not dealing with the back and forth and the fast moving pace of these offers. So when I say I'd like to see something written like this or like that, so it's not a completely practical always that that comes out exactly the way I would want it in the offer. And that's just the nature of the way it works. Um, um, but, uh, ultimately, the main thing is so to be familiar with these ideas so that when you're signing off on something, you either ask the question um, or you 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 understand what it is that it says and what it doesn't say. OK, um, um, it, as far as my contact information, Fierce Bloomberg Ohm is listed on the banner there in Northampton. And we have a website. And if anybody wanted to. Connect with me with general questions about their transaction. I generally am happy to talk to people thinking about looking for a lawyer. There's no obligation, obviously, um, until they decide. And and people should really pick a lawyer that they feel they have a good connection with. I mean, it, it, it you know, there's there's those of us that do this work. There's a lot of good ones around um, in the area, and you just want to find one that you you connect with and work with well. Um, Um, And so I always encourage people to call more than one, really. And I can definitely attest that Nick and the whole team at uh, Attorney Bloomberg's office are excellent. They roll up their sleeves. They're real people. As you can see, sometimes thinking about an attorney seems scarier than even thinking about a lender, right? We're not in suits over here. We're real people. So uh, thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciate all of your expertise. And um, we'll we'll probably have more questions to do a follow-up at some point in the future. I I would love it. I mean, as you could probably tell, I could have probably continued to talk for another half an hour, but uh, I'm glad you reined it in. It's all valuable. Thanks so much for being here. Take care, Lindsay. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in to our Applied Mortgage Community Show. 
As always, if you have any mortgage-related questions, please contact our team at Applied Mortgage, 413-586-5626 or appliedmortgageteam.com. And if you want to be featured on one of our episodes, let me know. We'd love to have you.